Welcome to Talent Bus, where I talk with SaaS companies on how they are doing their talent acquisition. And in today's episode, I'm talking with Holger Same, founder and CEO of Blinkist. And we are talking all the learnings regarding their talent acquisition while they scale their company to plus 200 employees. And let's start the episode from the first learnings uh, when they launched Blinkist and hired their first people to join the team. Yeah, I think that was um, uh, an epiphany that I had at, at some point. You know, I we've when I started Blinkist, I, I'm a first-time founder and my co-founders, we all have been first-time founders. So we've been pretty inexperienced and we were just really pragmatically doing things the way we thought they should be done. And mm-hmm. I think we had some talent in figuring out problems to solutions quite fast, et cetera, but you can't say we were experienced people managers or experienced marketers or experienced whatever. Um, and since we were lacking this experience, um, it was hard to, uh, we were lacking role models. You know, what, what is a great product manager look like? What does a great performance marketer look like, et cetera. So we've, and in the absence of having these role models and of, of having seen what great looks like, it was really challenging to, to spot greatness when you when you come across it in the recruiting process um, and I learned that um, a lot of times the quality of the actual hire we made uh, depended on the average quality we had in the recruiting pipeline so for example if we you know if we just had a lot of average good but not great candidates um, then the candidate is maybe slightly better than good uh, seemed great because you thought look she's better than everyone we've talked to. Um, so we thought she's great, uh, would offer her a big salary and then try to pull her in. And then um, just one year later or six months later, realized it's actually not great. It's maybe good or average or a little better than average, but it's still not great. So um, when we eventually invested more into filling the pipeline through um, more active sourcing, either with our own recruiter, recruiters or by working with um, recruiting agencies for some senior roles, um, um, I realized that, yeah, if we do active sourcing, um, we we have more control over the average quality of pipeline. Um, and if the average quality of pipeline is higher, then the ultimate candidate we end, uh, ended up hiring was better um, and, and, and greater because, yeah, um, because it's always the way in the early days, or even sometimes right now, the way ISS people is always uh, compared to average or compared to what I what I have seen. Um, yeah, and I know there's there's probably some objective truth what greatness looks like, mm. um, but uh, yeah, I'm not an expert in all functions, and uh, uh, for me personally, it's been hard to to assess uh, with that objective truth, knowing what is the objective truth here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes, it makes. And I think kind of comparing people, I, I think that's a quite difficult topic in a way, because like if you think about recruitment, I think there are multiple ways how you can compare uh, compare people when, when you are a founder. Because I, I think there are a lot of people who do it in a way that I compare that people to other people, other candidates. And that's kind of one, one way of doing that one. And as you mentioned, like one challenge with that one is really that you quite easily get fooled by the other people. And what I mean by that, what, what you shared over there, like if everyone is average and then there's one above those, or if actually everyone, 
else is like <laughs> super bad. And then there's one okay, that okay looks like extremely good. So that's interesting if you compare to other candidates, then I think you can compare against your needs. So like as a company, what do I need? And kind of when I found that person, I actually don't need to compare that person to any other people because I know that that person is filling my needs. And then one last thing, and this is something I've struggled as founder a lot, comparing against me. And I think actually the problem doesn't come in the recruitment process, but the problem comes when they start working. Have you had that challenge? You know, you expect a lot from you, but then you need to remember that you cannot expect as much from your employees. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And we, um, before I answer to that, also when you said comparing to your needs, you know, instead of comparing to other candidates, I think that also requires you to be very, uh, to, to be very aware of your needs. And sometimes I found, especially in the early days, uh, um, I wasn't aware of my needs. Or sometimes the needs got refined throughout the process by talking to candidates. So when I hire, you know, let's assume I hire a new product lead. Um, one of the questions I ask people, like what makes a good product lead in your point of view? So, so also I ask people, like, you know, I calibrate my needs or sometimes good people uh, uh, make me learn something new and then make me, identify a need I didn't know I had. So that's why I say, that's why I think, I mean, obviously uh, we always have a pretty good idea of a job description and then what we need, what we think we need, but that is also fluid. There's no objective truth um, to, to, to that. So that's why also needs evolve. And I, in a recruiting process, um, I'll, I'll let that be to a certain extent fluid and, and, and be curious and, you know, um, learn, learn something new from candidates. To your question, comparing like, you know, what do I expect from people? And I have the same, like, uh, that the challenge that you raised totally resonates with me. One of uh, my um, founder from Bubble, Marcus Witter, who is our independent board member, he told me early on in my career uh, that I shouldn't underestimate the unfair advantage I have as a founder. So unrelated to what my capabilities are, my hard skills um, and my soft skills, just because of the fact that I'm the founder and I'm not an employed person gives me an unfair advantage. I know this system better than anyone else. I don't have any, you know, no one tells me what to do. So, so I can just take decisions. I don't have this, this thinking, can, am I allowed to take this decision or should I align this with my boss? Uh, is my job safe? All these things that people who are employed have, I don't have that baggage. I, I, I don't have that, uh, I don't have to carry that. And that just gives me, yeah, knowing the system inside out and, and not having that baggage of an employed person gives me an unfair advantage that is hard to, to overcome by another person. So that is something that I internalized where I always thought, you know, sometimes I may judge a person I've hired. Why haven't you done this? It's easy. And, you know, I would do it this way. Um, I try to filter that with, what is my unfair advantage here? And, and is that person, can I really expect this from that person? Another thing that I learned the hard way over the years, um, I mean, there are certain things I, I'm good at and there are certain things I suck at. Uh, and if I just hire more holders into the company, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually, and I can't expect people to know everything. You know, everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses. So I need to, early on, I thought, you know, a certain way of working is what I want or, you know, things should be done that way. And then sometimes I help people accountable for doing things a certain way that I thought was good. And, 
I learned that I should hold people accountable for the outcomes and let them do their thing. And we're obviously all within the, um, within a framework of what our culture is and how we want to treat people, et cetera. But ultimately there are in German, we say there are different routes that lead to Rome. I don't know whether that's also an English saying, but, um, Ultimately, I, I should hold people accountable for outcomes and, and have expectations, high expectations of the outcomes because these they just need to be delivered, you know, otherwise the company is in a bad shape, you know, that, that are the company's expectations and I'm the company representative in that regard. So I, I shouldn't compromise on those outcomes, but I should let people do it in their style to a certain extent and not try to make them mini holders um, so I feel better. And that's what I had to learn throughout the years. Um, and now, and then now I, I learn a lot from that. I, I learn how other people approach challenges and, and get to certain outcomes um, um, in a different way than I, um, I would. Yeah. Super interesting. And I think I'm not sure if it's in English because I, I'm translating now directly from Finnish, but in, in Finnish is all roads lead to Rome. And I'm quite sure it might be the same in English. Yeah, per- if I'm not not mistaken. Yeah. But I, th- I think what you mentioned there, the unfair advantage, like super interesting kind of term for that one. And like, even though, like, I, I, I know it, I know it, but still it's like hard, hard to realize. And for example, like currently I'm, I'm doing all the sales work for our company. And when the moment comes that we are kind of hiring the first salesperson, I think founders has super unfair advantage in doing the sales for the company. And still there are like a lot of founders who expect that the first salesperson can can sell as much as the founder, even though that's quite quite hard thing to do. So super. Yeah, I fully agree. I think sales is the perfect example. You no salesperson, no hired gun will ever get so many um, yeses on LinkedIn or via call than you can. Just just the title gives gives you an unfair advantage there. Um, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And what, what you mentioned regarding them, kind of comparing against the need, I, I think kind of profile definition for sure is super important that we really understand what kind of person we are looking for. And they are, I, I think a lot of companies could, could do that one better, like really ask more questions from themselves in that case, like why we are recruiting this person. Like what, what happens if we don't hire anyone for this role? Why the person should join our company? And with that one, I, I think you can get a, good head start for companies who are not doing that one, but still at the same time, when you are having those discussions with candidates, you will learn so much more about the role or so much more about things you might need that you didn't even realize that you needed. So yeah, good point there. Yeah. But then kind of you mentioned culture over there and uh, one of your learnings you shared with me earlier was that your first employees defined the culture you are building and you also shared that there was some challenge with that one that you need to kind of reset or evolve the culture later on. So can you share a bit more on that? Yeah, of course. So, so when we started, we didn't think about culture. We thought about, okay, here's our idea. We want to launch this product and then we want to find ways to market it. And in order to do so, we need certain people to help us get there. So that was all our thinking. So we're really business focused on getting the job done um, and didn't, we were four co- four co-founders and we did not sit together and, and talk about how do we want to get there? What are our ways of working? What are values that we, that we care about uh, and that we want to instill early on and that we want to also use as a filter when hiring people? We didn't do that. So we didn't have values in the, in the first 
one and a half or two years um, and because it felt like we don't need values we need to launch a product and we need to market it um, and I think in hindsight that was a mistake um, I, I certainly we should have not engaged in multi-week workshops uh, workshops to ask the universe what our values are but uh, you know focused spending half a day or one day to really think about some simple things that we that we value and negotiate and also say like you know that you know also identify where we have different uh, opinions to be clear to be clear about that and then align on something and then disagree and commit if there is disagreement that would have been very very important because that would have empowered us to hire people with value fit um, instead of just letting that happen by randomness whether um, you know and, and mixing more values and it would have uh, enabled us founders to role model those values and then hold people account hold us ourselves um, accountable for those values and hold people accountable for those values. We didn't do all of that. So what happened is, depending on who, who was the hiring manager of the co-founders, we hired different profiles, different values, and we had a, a mix, a melting pot of you know different ways of working, different values, and then also some tensions because of that, because there were some implicit, you know, team A would do it that way and team B would do it that way. Um, and that create a lot of tensions or like, like we lost a lot of efficiency uh, due to that. And ultimately also had some big founder fights um, because, because of usually those symptoms are you fight about a, a business issue, but the, the core of the issue is you have no alignment on a certain fundamental value. Um, uh, that's something that I learned eventually two years in um, one of uh like an experienced entrepreneur who I met with every now and then to seek advice. He told me, because I, I told him, look, I have certain issues. We're fighting about a lot of things. And he usually said, yeah, you're fighting about business things, but the problem is actually much deeper um, on, a, on a more value level. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, but then two years in, we, we had the culture we had, you know, it grew organically. Um, we were uh, 10, 15 people and already a system that is more complex than just for co-founders. And then, there are certain things that are quite ingrained in a company and it was um, whenever that happens, it's hard to change, uh, to change that. You can't just say everyone who's not lives those values leaves. So we'll, we'll start fresh. So you, you have these different people and you somehow need to find alignment and, uh, and, and a good way forward. And that just took some time also because we've compromised on things. Then once we started to align, we tried to we tried to reach consensus. You know, everyone tried to add what was important to him, uh, and and then it was a melting. You know, that melting pot that we had in the organization. We then also had that on a value basis, where everyone got a little bit, uh, and then you have a big coalition of a lot of parties. Uh, that I don't know how things work in Finland, but in Germany, the more parties are part of the government, mm. uh, the worse it is usually because you it's, it's just a compromise of everything and no clear direction and and clear style yeah yeah but just to get a little bit more to kind of concrete level on that one can you share one example of your values that you currently have as a company value yeah. so right now we have just get it done um yeah. and channel your inner entrepreneur um we want to um we want pragmatism we want fast decision making we don't want a lot of you know endless discussions and endless meetings and da, 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 da. um mm -hmm. And we had in the early days, we were um, experimenting a lot with self-organization with holacracy and um, and while doing so, we 
actually without wanting it, we instilled a lot of red tape, a lot of people align everything with everyone. There's a thing called advice process and integrative decision-making process and oligarchy. So uh, people, people wanted to, you know, because, because self-organization and autonomy and empowerment is so important in oligarchy um, and self-organized uh, um, companies, uh, what happened to us, and I think I've heard that a lot of times, and people, no one wants to step on each other's toes. No one, you know, if it's your domain, you should make the decision. So I want to make sure my decision doesn't affect you. Uh, so I align everything with you. Um, and then actually people wanted to make decisions, but actually didn't want to take a risk or didn't want to be responsible. So also while, while people said, I want to, I want to be a decision maker, I want to have autonomy. Uh, but then they weren't making decisions or they weren't making the decisions they were supposed to, but rather kept talking for, you know, endlessly. So, um, so we had something, we had a, a strong, or like there were, um, founders or people in the organization who wanted to continue on this very progressive self-organization, uh, um, uh, journey. And there were others, including me, who said like, yes, yes, at core, we want empowerment. We want to have decentralized decision-making. We certainly do not want to have a, a stiff hierarchy and top-down decision-making, but we also, we, we can't just experiment with this forever. As an outcome, we need to have fast decisions. Uh, and if no one takes them decentrally, then eventually we need to take them top down uh, until the organization has learned it. So we need to be, I'm a strong believer in situational leadership. You know, you can be very, you can give a lot of autonomy if the person is willing and able to perform the job. But if that's not the case, you need to step in uh, and be coaching or directing um, whatever is necessary. So that was one of the, the big, how much, do we stick to holacracy and everything that comes with it? And how much do we go more traditional route with, um, um, and then being situational about it? And, um, so that was an evolution from, we always, um, for a long time had a, had a value champion self empowerment that was focused on the person and that we want to empower people. Um, and that's, that's very inward focused really on, you know, and that, that, that creates a lot of, I think in hindsight, it created a lot of entitlement. People thought about, instead of thinking about, um, how do we solve this problem? People thought about who should be empowered, like who, you know, who, whose domain is affected and who should solve it and who should be entitled to take the decision. Um, so they, it was really inward focused and now just get it done. It's like, to me, I love this value. It's in your face. Just get it done. Don't think about the who and the what and the what, whatever. Solve the problem. Uh, and and if you if if you step on someone's toes, someone's toes, who thinks they should have made the decision, if you get it done, if you solve the problem for the customer or whatever, then that's good. And then um, um, we can ask for forgiveness um, afterwards. So that's that's one of the, yeah, I think uh, one uh, one specific example of mm -hmm. an evolution that we've made in the past years. Yeah, and I think. That, that was actually one of the tips that I got from many founders when kind of launching Challenge B was that like, hey, make sure you find value fit people, culture fit people and all that. But I, I think when you are hiring for the first time, that, that might be a hard tip. So now, now when you have the value, get it done. Like, how do you validate that the candidate has that feature? I mean, what I've learned, what our talent acquisition lead uh, keeps telling me in trainings and then whenever, 
ask for examples. Like, tell me about a time when you were facing a big challenge and how did you get it done? How, you know, how did you solve it? Um, or tell me about a time when you failed. Um, so, and if people tell you examples and play mothers say like, yeah, I wanted to do this, but then this didn't work. Or I had to wait for that team and they, you know, they didn't give it. So if you hear excuses from, from people, then it's usually not a, not a person who is pragmatic, who, who finds a solution pragmatically anyway. That's a person who gets, um, who gets blocked or slowed down by an organization. And guess what? We are an organization and we don't want people who let that slow them down. We want to have people who find pragmatic ways, um, to do, you know, to get, get the input they need, get the people they need behind them influencing in a positive way and, or just doing it with, without anyone, right. Who just learn what they need to learn and, and then get it done. Uh, so yeah, asking, asking for some examples and, and, and listening to what they pick and, and how they talk about that example and, and whether, how much agency they show, uh, where, where, where versus how much do they blame others? Um, so I think that's the only, if you, if whenever I ask abstract questions, would you consider yourself a pragmatic problem solver? You would say yes. Uh, every, I mean, everyone loves to think about themselves as a problem solver and someone who can take decisions and be fast. Uh, but, um, can you tell me about a time when you've, when you've done that? Um, then some people will don't find a good example and then yeah. that's telling. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. Hey, for the last topic today, I would like to discuss a bit about the kind of market situation, what is going on over there. A lot of SaaS companies are having layoffs and all that. You have raised capital in the past A, B and C rounds in 2016, 2017, 2018. And kind of according to your career page, you are, you are still hiring. So kind of what, what is the effect of market situation in your, your hiring and kind of talent acquisition all in all? I mean, what happened to a lot of SaaS company last year or early this year, I think happened to us during COVID already. So we've been rather negatively affected by COVID. We, we grew slower. Um, so we had our mom, we never ha had to do a big layoff, but when, when COVID hit, we said, let's keep, let's take it a little easier. Let's, uh, start uh, managing for profitability instead of just chasing high growth at all costs. Um, and we started to become more cautious with hiring. We started to think more about what do we have the right org design? Do we need to restructure to make things leaner? And then in the past two and a half years, surgically made changes here and there, changed an org structure to be more effective or decided when people left, we wouldn't rehire because we could then take that as an opportunity to become leaner here and there. Um, sometimes also we had moments where we, you know, had to go, um, separate ways, um, and let, let a handful of people go, um, in a team when we had a team restructure. So, so we had that here and there in smaller chunks, but never, uh, Blinkist lays off 10 or 20% of people moment. Uh, so I think, and we also had that last year still, where we are, you know, we were going more function by function instead of having this all encompassing thing. Um, so over the last two, two and a half years, we became leaner, but our intention was always let's, you know, not, not just become leaner in order to save costs, but become leaner in order to be more effective. Because usually you get the same things done faster with less people. If you, you know, because the more people, the more you need to align, et cetera, et cetera. So there were certain 
functions that we could reduce um, without getting slower uh, by just organizing things more effectively. But then sometimes it was also the case where we said, let's divest here a little bit. So let's invest a little bit less in this so we can invest more in that. Um, so that's the journey we've been on in the past two and a half years. So we're investing in some areas and stop investing or fading out some others. Um, so it's a constant, yeah, it's a constant reallocation of where do we put our um, investments, uh, where do we see growth? Um, right now, we see a lot of growth opportunity on the B2B side, selling Blinkist um, as an enter as a you know corporate learning tool uh, to companies. So that's an area where we invest, um, uh, for example. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you got a lot of good ideas about SaaS talent acquisition. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it on your social so others can hear it too. And if you have a topic in mind that you would like me to cover in this podcast, share it with me as well. I'm Samuel Lee, CEO and co-founder in Talently, where we help fast-growing SaaS companies in their talent acquisition. Make sure to follow us, make sure to follow this podcast and have an awesome week. Bye-bye.